0: Good morning, Fellowship. This morning we're going to be in the uh, book of John, chapter 9, and we're going to uh, see the story of a man who was born blind. And uh, this sermon is A Man Called Jesus, Seeing Jesus Through the Confession of a Man Born Blind. So John, chapter 9. Have you ever had a change of perspective? Ever missed seeing something that was right in front of you? How many of you remember Magic Eye? It was a popular book series uh, which allowed some people to see 3D images uh, focusing in on two-dimensional patterns. Did any of you ever see these and look at these? Well, we've got one uh, this morning Now, who can see the 3D image in that picture? Anyone? We only had one person in the first service who could see it. Um, Well, to be fair, I can't see it either. Um, It's a giraffe, just so you know. Um, But there was a technique that if you stuck your face right up to the picture and slowly moved back, keeping your eyes out of focus, the image would appear and I gave myself a migraine staring at these pictures (laughs) trying to see what they were. Um, So yeah, that is indeed a giraffe um, up there and they had all sorts of things from uh, secret messages hidden in there or uh, different animals, dolphins and a crane, not the bird, but like the machinery um, and just different things. Uh, so, how, have, how many of you have never been able to see those images? Yeah, it, it took a lot to strain to finally see it, and this one actually was one of the cooler ones that I found, so maybe you can Google it and practice uh, staring at your phone to try to see the image. Um, but when you uh, struggled seeing the image at first, uh, you know that the, the first time that image came into focus, you could see everything. And and it all of a sudden revealed to you that instead of just a pattern of colors, there was actually a 3D image there. And uh, it really felt like the computer screen had that depth to it. It was pretty cool. Um, but then you can see the other images once you know how it works. So this morning... We're going to learn of a man who is going to have his physical sight restored, but is also going to be given spiritual eyes to see Jesus for who he truly is. But this view comes in stages. It doesn't happen all at once, for his physical sight is first restored, and he's able to see a man named Jesus. But as he reasons through what happened to him and the story progresses, his vision becomes clearer and clearer of who this man called Jesus really is. So his sight or his blindness turns to sight, then his sight into insight, and ultimately his insight into revelation. And as God begins to work on the heart of this man from the moment Jesus anoints his eyes, We see a growing faith and and a clarification in his mind of who it was that healed him. And as we examine his testimony, we'll discover three possible ways that we can view Jesus. Now, of these three views, there's only one that can bring a person out of darkness and into the light. There's only one understanding of Jesus and who he truly is that can bring sight to blind eyes. The other two views, while they are true of Jesus, they're an incomplete understanding of Jesus' true identity. Left on their own, it leaves an incomplete picture of who Jesus truly is. So we come to this part of Jesus' earthly ministry, and we're introduced to a man who is never named and is simply known as the man who was born blind. And though his origins are obscure and he's never mentioned again, the work God does in this man's heart and life speak of the eternal truths of God's intervention in the dark and sin-filled history of mankind. More than just a story of Jesus giving physical sight to a man born blind, there's an incredible testimony to the power of Jesus to not just open physical eyes, but to open spiritual eyes. The great theme of darkness in the hearts of man and the revelation of the light of the world who can come to dispel the darkness is played out in this encounter. So look with me as we see God reveal himself to this poor blind beggar through the word become flesh, through the light of the world. So our first stage of this man's confession is the and the first incomplete view of Jesus is seeing Jesus as a man. So that's the first... Note in your outline is Jesus as a man. The story begins with Jesus and his disciples passing by a man who is blind, sitting there begging by the temple gates. Now, as we see, now as we'll see, this man was known for sitting there day in and day out begging for alms, and apparently the disciples knew him and knew that he had been born blind. Therefore, they, they ask the question. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that that he was born blind? For the disciples, in that day, there was a widely held belief that that any sort of sickness or illness or physical deformity was a direct result of someone's sin and a direct judgment from God for someone's sin. It was commonly believed that if a baby was born with a physical ailment, that it was because his parents had sinned and incurred the judgment of God. Or, or they even came up with this idea that somehow, way, the baby sinned inside the womb and, and therefore was born with a physical deformity or sickness. Now, before we get too harsh on the disciples for, for believing such a seemingly foolish thing, we should note that this idea is still around today. And many of us may even believe it without realizing it. Well, what's the first thought that sometimes comes to mind when we hear about something that happened to a person? Or they get sick, we think, oh, I wonder what they did to deserve that. Or maybe we think of ourselves when when something bad happens to us, man, I wonder if God's punishing me for that sin that I committed. And I wonder if this is what I get for doing that. Well, see, in an ultimate sense, sin is the sickness and disease and physical deformities are a result of sin, the result of the fall of man. And we do live in a Genesis 3 world. And sick and death in general is because of the sin Adam committed and every person afterward has perpetrated it. But on the other hand... It's true that there are examples in the Bible of God punishing people directly for their sin. And even believers, followers of God, who were punished directly for sins that they specific sins that they committed. And David is a, a prime example where the Lord took his child because of his sin with Bathsheba. So, so we can't say that it, the suffering we go through is definitely not a result of our sin, But on the other hand, we can't say that it definitely is a result of our sin. Ultimately, it's something only God knows. Warren Wiersbe puts it this way, To blame a specific disability on a specific sin committed by specific persons is certainly beyond man's ability or authority. Only God knows why babies are born with handicaps. And only God can turn those handicaps into something that will bring good to the people and glory to His name. It's not for us to decide, believers, whether or not sin is or the punishment directly because of someone's sin, but that's God's domain. And we can take comfort in the fact of knowing that our God loves us and cares for His people and and does not uh, punish us out of cruelty or demean us and punish us simply because we sinned. But that everything that God does is for his glory. It's for our good and his glory. And so let's not believe that that God is is petty and just punishes us for our sin, but know that God takes sin seriously and, and that that we should live lives of obedience to him. So the disciples They're just operating on this false assumption that it had to be this man's sin or his parents' fault that he was born blind. But because of their preoccupation with their theological argument, they miss the point completely. They get so caught up in, well, who's right and who's wrong? Whose fault is this? That they miss the point. The disciples and Jesus may have been looking at the same situation, but they saw completely different things. Does anyone remember that uh, dress, that picture of the dress that went around on the Internet, the blue and black, or was it gold and white? Well, I've got the picture here to settle the debate once and for all. So how many people see blue and black in that dress? Okay, how many people see gold and white? Okay, we've got more. The first service, again, we only had one person who saw gold and uh, white. But uh, I'll excuse you if you said you saw gold and white, because that dress is clearly blue and black. (laughs) So I won't hold it against you. Um, But we can look at the same image and see two completely different things. And and while this is a matter of optical illusion in the way our brains translate colors, um, our perspective many times can skew how how we see things. And that's exactly what happened with the the disciples. They were so caught up in in trying to figure out this debate that they missed what was happening. Stephen Lawson puts it this way, Jesus saw a man and the disciples saw a problem. The disciples only saw this as an opportunity to settle this debate that had been going on for years. Their preoccupation kept them from having compassion on the man, whereas Jesus can't help But look at this man with compassion and love. Believers, let us not be so caught up with our theological systems and and preoccupied with trying to figure out who's right and who's wrong that we miss the hurt and the lost and dying people that are in this world. Let us not be so self-consumed with with trying to prove that we're right or, or trying to prove that our worldview is right that we miss the heart of our Savior and His compassion and His love for those who are in spiritual darkness. Jesus flips the argument and the debate completely on His head and settles it by answering, It was not this, that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one... Can work, So it wasn't a direct result of this man's sin or his parents' sin, but it was so that God could work in this man, so that God could be glorified and receive the glory. And so the suffering and the pain and the trials that we go through as believers, it's not because of our sin per se and every time, but that God can be glorified in us. And it was so that Jesus could work the works God had sent him to do. And and, and in so doing, glorify God through healing this man. Then Jesus goes on to make one of the great I Am statements. He declares that he is the light of the world. And in this declaration, we see that this story is about far more than physical sight being restored. But there's a spiritual aspect to it. It reveals the great reality that as this man was born physically blind, he was also born spiritually blind. And we'll see Jesus not only addresses this man's need for sight, physical sight, but deals with his spiritual need for sight as well. And this is true of every single person who is born in this world. They are born in darkness. They are born spiritually blind, eyes unable to see the glory of God, unable to recognize who Jesus is. And so this man had both problems. He was physically blind, but he was also spiritually blind and could not see Jesus for who he truly was. So Jesus mixes his saliva with the dirt and anoints the man's eyes with this mud, and he tells him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam, So the man goes, and he washes. We see Jesus initiate contact with this man. We see him plant a seed of faith in the heart of this man, and and with his first act of obedience, we see his faith grow, and and eventually we see it grow and blossom into a full understanding of this man called Jesus. So the man goes, and he washes, and, and he comes back seeing, no doubt looking for the one who healed him, Right? Not that he would actually recognize him if he saw him. You know, he might recognize his voice, but he had never seen the man before. So instead, he's greeted by his friends and neighbors. And they begin to question him about what happened. And he tells them that, that I, this man called Jesus, Annoying my eyes, I washed, and now I see. And then people were saying, Well, yeah, that's the man who sat and begged. And others are like, no, nah, I couldn't be him. It's probably his twin or something. But it was so simple, yet he said, it is me. I am he. I'm the one who sat and begged. And a man called Jesus anointed my eyes. I washed, and now I see. It's here we have the first stage in his confession. You see, he, all he knew is that a man called Jesus anointed his eyes, and now he sees And at least four more times, as John records, he's going to be asked how he can now see. And we'll see that his understanding of what took place and who Jesus truly is begins to grow. And to many of those in that day, that's all Jesus ever was. He was just a man. And maybe he was a good teacher, had some good moral teachings, and he was making some waves in society. But to them, he was just another man who would come and go and and fade away into history with all the rest. But ironically, their view of Jesus as a man actually reveals that he was an actual man. The incarnation was real, not just some sort of illusion, but God actually stepped down into time and became a man so that he could do something about man's wretched state. But even today, this view still holds as the proper intellectual explanation of the man called Jesus. Many today insist that Jesus was just a man. He lived a long time ago, and since they deny anything supernatural, they they deny that Jesus could have been anything other than any of us are. It's a reflection of the blindness that is still in the hearts of man today people willfully reject Jesus and remain in darkness. You see, viewing Jesus as just a man is an incomplete understanding of his true nature and does not lead anyone to salvation. What about you? Do you think of Jesus as a man who lived a long time ago? Do you view him as maybe a great moral teacher? And maybe you have a high degree of respect for him and think of him as someone to be honored but as long as your understanding of Jesus never goes beyond recognizing him as a man, you will remain blind in your sin. So the man born blind has just received his sight, but only knows that a, a man called Jesus healed him. However, his understanding of Jesus progresses from merely perceiving Jesus as a man to something greater, to a, to a prophet from God. And that's the second stage of his confession a prophet. So he views Jesus as a man, and then secondly, as a prophet. And picking up in verse 13 is where we see his confession. It says, Now the people brought this man before the Pharisees. They they took him to the religious leaders, and and they were going to settle whether or not this was the man who was born blind, and, and how it was that he could see. While these religious leaders had been opposing Jesus from the very first day he stepped onto the scene. John tells us that they had already decided that anyone who would consider Jesus as being from God would be excommunicated from the synagogue. Now, this meant uh, most certainly social and economic humiliation and possibly ruin for a Jew to be excommunicated in this way from the synagogue. And some commentators believe that they even believed that if you were to be kicked out of the synagogue and excommunicated, then, then you would be excluded from entrance into heaven. You would be excluded from the promises of God if you were rejected by this synagogue. So since this case involved Jesus, we can be sure that it would be anything from a fair and unbiased investigation. And that's exactly what it turned into. Instead of an investigation to figure out how this man was truly healed it turned into a way to figure out and prove that Jesus was a fraud and a sinner. They made it their aim to prove that Jesus was just another man. They refused to accept the evidence that was right in front of them. But the great irony of this passage is that those who are supposedly enlightened, those who supposedly have all the answers, are those in the greatest darkness. And those who say, I can see are in fact the ones who are blind. So the Pharisees questioned this man and asked him how it was that he could now see. So he tells them his story of how a man called Jesus anointed his eyes and washed, and now he can see. But they, there was a division among the, the religious leaders. Some of them would say that this man, referring to Jesus, they wouldn't even call him by his name. They would say this man couldn't possibly be from God because he didn't keep the Sabbath. And John tells us that, that it was a Sabbath when Jesus healed this man. Now, is it true that, that Jesus didn't keep the Sabbath, a day that was established by God and commanded to be kept holy and reverent? Was it true that Jesus broke the Sabbath? No, absolutely not. And what he did in this, quote-unquote, violation of the Sabbath Jesus demonstrates that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. You see, the Pharisees had made up all of these rules and regulations and incorporated it into their law to say that you couldn't carry dust on your sandals because it would constitute work. And Jesus violated three of their laws that they had made up. And so as The Lord of the Sabbath, he tears down the man-made religious burdens that these blind guides had placed on God's people. And another group reasoned that this man could not be a sinner because he did miraculous signs. So unable to come to any sort of consensus, they again asked the man what he thinks about Jesus. And then in a growing faith, the man responds that Jesus must be a prophet and as he begins to realize that Jesus has to be more than just a mere man, and as other people have already surmised, if Jesus was just a sinful man, then how could he perform such miracles? How could he have given sight to this blind man, a condition that that no earthly physician could remedy? We see this man's understanding of Jesus go from just a man to he must be a prophet. And he goes on and grows in his understanding of Jesus to, to add that Jesus must be a prophet who's sent from the living God. Well, the Pharisees couldn't be more put off by this answer. So they begin to attack the man's credibility and go after his personal character. In essence, they resort to accusing him of faking the healing, trying to prove that, that he wasn't really born blind, he's just lying about it as though Jesus pulled off some great hoax by switching beggars and then claiming that he healed him. So to this end, uh, they call his parents. And and at this point, they're just simply grasping at straws. They ask them if this is their son, if he was born blind, and by what means he now sees. Now, these guys are uh, pretty sad excuses for parents, if you ask me. So number one, their son was out there day in and day out begging for scraps, trying, trying to eke out a living by, by begging, and they had abandoned him more or less because, and, and this is just my opinion or my idea, is that they didn't want to be associated with someone who is considered cursed by God, and, and so they, they left their son on his own, And yet they're here called into the synagogue and asked if this is their son and if he was born blind and and how he now sees. Well, the idea that uh, they were afraid of being uh, kicked out of the synagogue and associated with a man who was considered cursed is played out in their answer. They say, yes, this is our son, and indeed he was born blind, but how he now sees, we don't know nor do we know who healed him. They're flat out lying. Because no doubt, this man told his parents how he had received his sight. And John tells us that they said this because they were afraid to be put out of the synagogue, which would spell the social and economic humiliation for them. And what it boils down to is they were afraid of man. They were afraid of what man would do to them. Rather than boldly proclaiming that their son had most certainly told them that Jesus made them see, they let their pride and their fear of man overrule the truth. They, they couldn't even celebrate with their son that the fact that he had his eyes that he could see now because they were so afraid of what the other Jews would think of them that they denied that Jesus had healed him. They knew undeniably that Jesus... Had healed their son, but they let their own pride blind them from recognizing who Jesus truly was. Many people today are just like these parents. They've seen God's marvelous creation that testifies to a God who created it all. They've heard the testimony of those God has brought out of darkness and into light. They've been told of the light of the world who can give sight to their blind eyes. Yet because of their fear, they reject the truth and deny what's plain to them. They're too afraid of what it might cost them to recognize Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. They suppress the truth, and they continue in darkness. Perhaps you're sitting here this morning. You've seen the world around you that shouts, there's a God. And perhaps you have friends who are believers, and you've seen the life transformation, the change that's taken place in their lives. And you've heard the word of God preached to you time and again. Through all of this, you know deep down in your soul that there's truth to be found here. And maybe you keep rejecting these thoughts and suppressing these thoughts that that this all might actually be true. It could be fear that if you acknowledge that there is a God and that Jesus is who he says he is, you'll have to own up to your sin. Or maybe it's the fear of being rejected and ridiculed and outcast by friends or family. Whatever the fear that keeps you from seeing Jesus for who he really is, I pray that that God will open your eyes to see the light of the world, that Jesus came to save those just like you. And if you would just realize that, that you're helpless, that you're lost in darkness, and cast off your fear of man. I know Christ will give you eyes to see him and faith to believe in what he's done for you. Well, continuing with the parents' uh, testimony in the most obvious deflection ever, the parents say, he's a grown man, ask him yourself. Why are you asking us? Do you ask him? They, they just didn't want to say any more for fear of the Jews. But now the Pharisees are starting to get backed into a corner. With the parents affirming that this man was indeed healed of congenital blindness, they were out of options and began resorting to childish insults. They tell the blind, formerly blind man to give glory to God, as though to bait him into blaspheming the Lord. We know that this man is a sinner. Well, so much for a fair investigation, huh? They've already come to their own conclusion. But with a growing confidence and boldness, this man asserts, he says, whether this man is a sinner or not, I do not know. But all I know is that I was blind, but now I see. It was the simple, unavoidable truth is the reality that he was healed. And he knew that it was Jesus who healed him. And all the evidence is right there for the Pharisees to see, It's right there in front of their eyes, yet they cannot see it, or rather, they refuse to see it. They willfully reject the obvious truth. Now the investigation is just running in circles when they ask him again how it was that he was healed. And you got to love his wit here when he tells them, Why do you keep asking me this? I've told you what happened. Do you want to become his disciples as well? Man, this, this ate him up. That certainly didn't sit well with them, and they. It says they reviled him in verse twenty-eight. They reviled him, saying, "You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from." And in in a very eloquent way, this man turns their own words. On them, and he says, That's interesting. It's an amazing thing that you say you don't know where he's from, yet he healed my eyes. He gave me sight. uh, A feat that that no one in history has ever done before, nor replicated afterwards. And he he reasoned to them in verses 30 through 33 that if Jesus were indeed a sinner, he could not have possibly done this. And and that uh, if he were not from God, he wouldn't have power to do anything. He wouldn't have the power to do the signs that he did. Well, the debate turns even farther south, and and in a tantrum, in a rage, the Pharisees throw the man out of the synagogue, and they cast him out from them, having nothing else to say to him. So that's the second stage of this man's confession, and the second incomplete view of Jesus, that he is from God. This man reasoning through what happened to him, he comes to realize that this Jesus must be more than just merely human. He deduces that Jesus has to be of God in order to have healed him, and to the disdain of the Pharisees, who are still stuck believing that that Jesus was just a man, this formerly blind beggar begins to receive a clearer picture of Jesus. But even as good and true as this new insight is, it still falls short of the full picture. Yes, Jesus is sent from God, proclaims a message from him, and works miracles by divine power. But just believing that about Jesus is not enough to free a person trapped in spiritual darkness. It's not enough to break the power of sin's hold on someone who was born in darkness. And simply acknowledging that Jesus is divine in some way does not provide a way for a sinner to be forgiven of their sin and made right with a holy God. Every person is lost in darkness and enslaved to sin. They need more than just a prophet who works miracles and speaks words from God. They're in need of a Savior, one so brilliant and perfect that can dispel the darkness and bring them from the darkest depths of sin into the light of God. It may be essential to believe that Jesus is sent from God, but it's still an incomplete understanding of his true nature. Maybe you believe that Jesus was a prophet, or, or perhaps that he was sent from God. You may think that he did some miraculous, supernatural things and was a very spiritual man. And you may even admit that he worked miracles with divine power. That's well and true. But is that where you stop? If so... That leaves you wanting when it comes to being made right with a holy and just God. For if Jesus was just a prophet sent from God, he would have no way and could do nothing to bring you out of darkness and into the light of God. You cannot hope to gain spiritual sight if Jesus was just some divine miracle worker. So that brings us to the pinnacle of this former man, blind man's confession and the third and complete understanding of Jesus. We see this in verses 35 through 41. Jesus hears that the man born blind was kicked out of the synagogue, and he goes to find him. And and can't you just see the the heart of our great shepherd as he's calling his lost sheep to himself? He goes and he finds him. One commentator said that the Jews kicked him out of the temple, but the Lord of the temple... Found him. And so our Lord, in his compassion, goes and finds this man, and, and as his faith is growing and his understanding of Jesus deepens, the Lord does not leave him on his own, but he draws him deeper until he receives the full revelation of who Jesus is. Jesus finds him and asks him a simple yet profound question, an infinitely profound question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, this title, this name, Son of Man, was Jesus' favorite way of referring to himself. It was a title that no doubt was familiar to the Jews. The Son of Man was described in Daniel chapter 7 as being given authority, glory, and sovereign power. It was a prophecy of the coming Messiah, the Son of Man. So in calling himself this, the Son of Man, Jesus was declaring that he was the promised Messiah. He was the one sent from God to rescue his people out of darkness and into the light. But this term also has another meaning, and it literally means the son of a man. It means a human, a human being. So Jesus would rightly proclaim himself as the Messiah, while at the same time identifying with those he came to see and save. Jesus was truly the God-man. He was Emmanuel. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And he stepped down into time to provide a way for sinful man lost in darkness and lost in blindness to be made right with a holy and just God, to bring them to be the light of the world, to shine light into the darkness, and to bring and call sinners out of the darkness into his marvelous light. But in asking the question this way, Jesus was asking this blind man if he believes in the Messiah. The man responds to Jesus' question. Who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. The man's response is beautiful. He says, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. You see the same word there. Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And then, Lord, I believe. But he goes from, a title of respect to calling him Lord and Master, recognizing who he is because he bows down and worships him as a result of this confession. So finally, the man comes to a full understanding of who Jesus is. And in this final encounter, the little seed of faith that Jesus had planted in this man's heart has now blossomed into the full revelation of the light of the world. This man spent his entire life both in spiritual and physical darkness. But he had the eyes of his heart opened to the glorious reality of the one who had come to bring light and life to a dark and dying world. He makes his final declaration in calling Jesus Lord. To him, he was no longer just a man, no longer someone who was sent from God. He was not just a man called Jesus, but he was Lord, Messiah, Master, And Savior. And in that moment, as he fell down to worship our Lord, his sight had never been clear, for now he knew in whom he had believed. And as the old hymn goes, I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known, nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for his own. But I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed. unto him against that day. I know not how the saving faith to me he did impart, nor how believing in his word brought peace within my heart. But I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. In light of this man's testimony of Jesus as a man, a prophet, and finally Lord, I... Present you with this question. Who do you say he is? Who do you believe that Jesus is? Is he just another man with no significance beyond some good moral teaching? Or maybe you recognize that Jesus could be possibly from God, like a prophet or something? Or is he Lord? Is he God become man, the Messiah, the way, the truth, and the life, the light of the world? the only way to be made right with a holy God. So what it boils down to is really only two responses to Jesus, only two ways to view Jesus. See, the first two are are really one. Whether you believe Jesus is just a man or that he's a prophet from God, both fall short of the truth. Jesus is the light of the world. Come to bring sight to the spiritually blind and judgment on those who think they see. Anything less than that is a false understanding of who Jesus is. So therefore, you have one of two choices. Either reject Jesus as just a prophet or a man, or receive him as Lord and Savior. Jesus was God become man, and he lived the perfect life that no man could live. And he went to the cross, and he sacrificed himself on behalf of sinners, taking on the full wrath of God. And he died, but God raised him from the dead and brought him back to life and gave him victory over sin and death. And if you would recognize that you're a sinner, recognize that you have no way of saving yourself to turn away from your sin and place your trust fully in Christ alone, you will be saved. He can bring you out of darkness and into light. If you recognize your helplessness before a holy God and place your trust in Jesus, He will surely open your eyes and bring you into his marvelous light. Let's pray.